From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Women at Work on Business Radio. Here is your host, Laura Zaro. Welcome to Women at Work and our ongoing conversation about how we can get more women to join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zaro, Senior Director of Wharton People Analytics, for today's show on entrepreneurship. We're going to be talking about the unique role that women can play in reinventing what we buy and how we shop for it, the social impact power that even new entrepreneurs possess, and the critical role that female VCs can play in this process. We'll be doing all this and more with three amazing Wharton alumnae. In our first half hour, we're going to talk with Jane Fisher and Jenna Kerner, co-founders and CEOs of Harper Wild. And then in our second half, we'll be welcoming in Gail Ball, managing partner of Chestnut Street Ventures. Our phones are open, and we would love to have you call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Do you have a question about starting your own business? or developing a new product. Give us a call and our ever-capable guests will share some of their secrets with you. That once again, that's 1-844-WHARTON-942-7866. And that's 1-844-942-7866. So today's guests did both of those things. They created a new product and a new way of shopping for it by bringing their sophisticated business acumen together with their remarkable curiosity and own unique insights. Harper Wild is a company committed to making the ever-detested bra shopping experience simpler and more equitable for women, while functioning as a socially responsible and impactful business. As their motto goes, Harper Wild works to lift up the ladies in every sense imaginable. Once again, our phones are open. That's 1-844-WHARTON, 1-844-942-7866. You can also reach us via email. So if you want to write to us, that's businessradio at SiriusXM.com. And for those of you who may be listening in replay, that's a particularly great way to write to us, send us your questions, and I'll be happy to answer them on an upcoming show. So with that, our first guests today are Jane Fisher and Jenna Kerner. They're the co-CEOs and co-founders of Harper Wild. Um, Jane cut her teeth on driving change and operating businesses at McKinsey & Company, where she put her skills to work across a variety of businesses and on internal strategy projects, seriously enriching her operational know-how. There, she was able to also pursue her desire to help empower women in the workplace by taking a leading role within Lean In and Sheryl Sandberg's initiative there. Jenna has always had a passion for building things. She left her work in a safe, secure consulting role to join an e-commerce startup and get her hands dirty, helping an early-stage company grow. And then she used her experience in human-centered design as a product manager overseeing the company's mobile app. More recently, she worked as a product manager at a mid-stage company, focusing on launching a new web product, including initial marketing strategy and ongoing feature development. So aside from the very clear ways that these combined skill sets are clearly a recipe for entrepreneurial success. They're both Wharton MBA alumni, so they have some superpowers. Um, So with that, let me extend a virtual welcome home to you both. Jane, Jenna, welcome to Women at Work. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. (laughs) It is absolutely a pleasure. So Jane, I'm going to start with you. Could you tell, um, start the story off of how you two found each other? Because you're business partners, and I know that you came out of business school together. Partnerships are hard to find. How'd you discover each other, and what's the magic between the two of you? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I think you're exactly right in describing just how important and hard it can be. Um, Jenna and I actually met before Wharton at a Wharton meetup out in San Francisco where we were both working and living before Wharton. So that's when we first met and hit it off. And then we, when we got to Wharton, we were in a class together. Um, it was totally unrelated to bras and building a business, but we knew that our working styles um, were very complementary. And so when the idea came about um, pretty organically in our first quarter at Wharton, um, it was pretty clear that Jenna was someone who I, I knew I wanted to work with and worked well with. Um, and it was actually solidified during an entrepreneurship class at Wharton when we studied uh, Jobs and Wozniak and and why they didn't work out as founders. And what it really came down to was about their core values, not even their objectives with the business, but that their core values weren't aligned. And I remember Jenna and I walked out of the class after doing that case study, and we, we found a seat right outside of um, Huntsman Hall and sat down and went over what our values were and found that they were really aligned and thereby that we would uh, be good good co-founders. And it turns out that that is the case. It makes me think some people should do this before they actually get married. Um, so, <laughs> Jenna, um, with this recognition that you had core values, you clearly were um, ambitious entrepreneurial. What in particular made you start a bra company, of all things? <laughs> Yeah, that's, it's a great question. Um, and it's something that, you know, it came out of a very organic place. You know, we have seen and had learned about so many other direct consumer companies, especially a lot coming out of Wharton, um, that have brought, you know, fair pricing um, and a simpler way to buy to a number of um, other industries. And we kind of sat back and thought about one of a woman's most basic commodity. Um, and why is it still so expensive and, and so difficult to buy? So we took, um, as Jane mentioned, we were in that entrepreneurship class. And for the rest of that quarter, we worked together with um, a team of four other students to start looking into the market and really understanding, you know, is there, um, is there high margins in the industry, which we found out, yes, there is, and then understanding, you know, why that is. And um, also looking on the consumer side to understand, you know, what is the demand really for um, and sizing up the market and understanding, you know, is this an area that um, looks promising for us? And um, as you can imagine, you know, it, it, we came out of that first semester um, really blown away by the opportunity that existed and by, you know, the passion that we had for bringing, um, you know, a more fairly priced option to women. So was the initial spark the question of an untapped market, or was it that you saw a fundamental problem with both bra um, product design and the buying process, and that's what you wanted to solve? What was first? Jane? Or Jenna, give it a whirl. Yeah, no, I can. Um, so I can actually remember when Jane, uh, Jane first came to me and said, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this and bras are really expensive and I can't figure out why. Um, and as we look to a lot of, you know, what we were typically facing in the market at 60, 70, even over 80 or a hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so we started looking into it and it really came from that place. And I think I was sitting there on the other side of the table saying, yeah, I'm wearing, you know, this, this old bra. I've got an underwear poking me in the side. And why is it that I have been unwilling uh, to go and replace it when, you know, I love shopping. I love shopping for other things. And yet for some reason, you know, I'm refusing to 
uh, to replace one of my, again, most basic commodities. So that's really where it started. And I think attacking it from both of those angles and, and both of us really um, diving deeper into that is what just we realized there were so many inconsistencies in the way women approach bras versus other categories, um, as well as, you know, in how expensive uh, the garments are. Also, there's a a practical issue that you solved, and there's a political one that you're addressing with doing this. So clearly, you've brought a sensitivity to the problems with the products and the process that exist because you live in that space. This is part of your world, and you bring a sensitivity to it that a male entrepreneur might not. But there's also a political aspect to it. You know, as I read your materials, um, one of the things I appreciate that you asked the question about who are bras designed for. How did you explore that, and how did that shape the way that you have your products and present them now? Yeah, that was um, that was a pretty clear thing when we first looked at the market to see who else is out there, who are the bigger players, and are they representative of the needs and the the women out there today? And when we looked at the market and saw that Victoria's Secret was the biggest player, and knew ourselves as consumers and women you know, working with really career-focused objectives in mind, and then talking to other women, uh, Victoria's Secret just wasn't representative of what women wanted. It was rather really what men wanted or what men thought women wanted, would like to think they want. Or what Um, women think men think they want. (laughs) Right, exactly. And, you know, we, we asked a bunch of we did surveys with hundreds of women just to see and really quantify the value of the Victoria's Secret brand. And it was just so clear how much women don't relate to that brand. And it, it's just not representative in how big of a market player they are today. And that's when we really saw the gap in the need for a brand that does reflect the modern woman um, to be represented as the bigger player in the, in the market itself. So um, I want to ask about the name Harper Wild. Tell the story of where the name came from, because I also think that embodies the spirit behind this. Jenna? Absolutely. The name, yeah, the name took um, probably close to six months um, to really come up with the right name. And it was a really long, it was a long process, um, you know, for Jane and I to sit and really think about, uh, you know, what is core to our business. And if we had to pick one or, or a couple words that was really going to embody um, the ethos of the brand and what we're trying to do, what would that be? So when we looked at, you know, what sort of flowed through the entire brand and the experience and the products, we really kept coming back to empowerment and education. So for the name, we look to strong female leaders and authors, um, and we can get to a little bit later on um, our, our donations to putting girls through school. But that led us to Harper Lee, who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, and Laura Ingalls Wilder, who wrote The Little House on the Prairie series. Um, and that was really the inspiration for Harper and Wilde um, and bringing together something that um, showcased, you know, our commitment to education and to providing an empowering brand, like Jane mentioned, you know, for the modern woman. It's It totally inspired me, and, and I appreciate the way that that's rooted in young women and girls who are um, part of what makes their characters so special is that they're very much their own people in the real world. 
Um, but I want to take a step backwards. Um, I was impressed at how you were talking about the research that you did to understand the marketplace. You're both Wharton MBA alumni, um, which says to me you understand that data matters. Um, Jane, tell me a little bit about how you use data in the early stages and what your relationship is to data now that you're building the company. Mm-hmm. It's a great question. I mean, you're I think particularly so, not only because we're Wharton MBAs, um, but also because Jen and I really never thought about starting a business. So we didn't have these lofty kind of thoughts that this would work no matter what. We really wanted to see the data to back it up to say, how will this work? Um, and so that's exactly what we did. I mean, we we did a number of different analyses um, through the help of a lot of Wharton professors and through the structure of a lot of Wharton classes. I would say the one that stuck out the most to to me, at least, and I totally nerded out over, was a conjoint analysis that a professor from the marketing professor, uh, department helped us set up. And this really helped us through pairwise testing assess what attributes mattered to women and to what degree. Um, and that was everything from price sensitivity to the occasion for why they were wearing a bra to down to the attributes of the bra itself. Um, and it really made a huge difference because it allowed us to see if we priced at a certain amount or $5 more, how much market share would we gain or lose? Um, what was the threshold for price sensitivity? Uh, what was the floor for it? At which point customers actually questioned the quality of the product. It allowed us when we were sitting in the factory in Sri Lanka arguing over cents of how much something might cost us more to know, is it worth paying a few cents more? Will women actually care about that or not? Um, so it really helped inform everything from how we came out the door with our price, to what the product looked like, um, to the branding as well. Um, so that was kind of how we use data in building the company. And then how we use it today, I mean, literally, I, I just got back from being at the warehouse where we're using data around um, returns and returns metrics to not only assess um, everything from, you know, how many bras women are keeping, um, but also we're able to do to, to deduce from a lot of the data if women know their right size or not. We're also looking at customer support tickets that we're receiving. Um, a big part of our value proposition is around an unrivaled customer experience. And so we use a lot of the data around when we receive customer tickets, what we receive them about to, to better evolve our, our customer experience. And then on the other side, on the marketing side, um, I know this is where Jenna focuses her attention, uh, but I know that they're running with a lot of data to better understand what ads are working and um, to what degree so we know where to focus our, our money and our attention. By the way, these amazing women that I'm talking with are Jane Fisher and Jenna Kerner. They're the co-CEOs and co-founders of Harper Wild, joining us today on Women at Work on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow. If you'd like to join in the conversation or you'd like to bounce ideas off of Jane and Jenna, you can give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Now I want to take a step back to the product design part. Um, and Jenna, I want to talk about something that Jane mentioned that I think is really important and um, at kind of at the heart of effective innovation. Um, you know, Jane had said that, you know, you can. there's this mistake that people make where they say, this is going to work no matter what. And you two weren't starting there. You started with what's the market, what's 
what's the need, how do I learn about it? As an experienced product designer, um, how are you incorporating data into your iterative process, and where's the creative component of it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a great question. I think there are a lot of different ways that you can think about, um, you know, getting data. And there's definitely the ways that we have reached out to hundreds of women and, and really going for volume and quantitative analysis. But there's also a lot that, um, you know, we have to look at things from a qualitative side as well. Um, and I'm very fortunate in my, my background um, doing some work in ethnographic research um, and really understanding, you know, what, um, what motivates people and, you know, where they might be having trouble going through a user experience, for instance, on a website or a web app. Um, so that was a lot of what we did as well. Alongside this quantitative data, you know, we sat down, um, we did in-depth focus groups with six to seven women at a time, and we would sit there and really, you know, ask them questions, okay, and why do you feel that way? Um, you know, where are you having trouble? What's, what's a problem that you're facing when it comes to your bra? Um, and one time in particular when we did um, a pop-up shop trial, we even went as far as um, to follow some women home, obviously with their consent, um, <laughs> to, as they, they tested out our business model of these free home try-ons. And so we went home with them as they were trying on the bras. You know, we stood outside the room. What are you thinking right now? Um, walk me through your thought process. What are you struggling with? When they went to return for the free home try-on, we also, you know, would notice are they trying to stick the box in their work bag and is it not fitting? And does that mean that, you know, we should design our packaging in such a way that it's easy for someone to carry or to carry on the go? So, Oh, my God. Um, you just solved a problem I have with other at-home purchases. <laughs> well done. <laughs> and that's, that's one of the things that we really try to, you know, we try to balance where we're going um, broad and, you know, skimming for a lot of as much data as we can bring in to really quantify as well as, you know, going very deep on, on a few data points to really, you know, understand that customer experience. And that might not be scalable for hundreds of people at a time, but it's still extremely valuable to get, you know, even a handful of you know, in-depth data points. Yeah, it's really interesting from a design perspective to realize the power of getting the qualitative data, hearing the stories, understanding the experiences, and factoring the two in. And that's how productive innovation is going to emerge and you guys seem Absolutely. to have done an amazing job of it. So I want to switch gears a little bit. Jane, you were talking before about how you were using um, data regarding the factory in Sri Lanka. But there, I want to know the other aspects of the factory in Sri Lanka. How did you find it? Why did you choose it? And what's special about it? Yeah, um, so how we found it is actually pretty straightforward. It's one of the largest lingerie manufacturers in, in the world, um, and they have a great reputation. They produce for any brand that you would you would know, Nike, Gap, Victoria's Secret. Um, so finding them was pretty straightforward. Getting them to work with us was not as straightforward. Um, <laughs> so we, we were lucky enough that through Jenna's um, last role uh, at the startup that she was working at, she actually had, they were working with the same factory. So we had a connection um, through there. We did have to do a bit of um, embellishing of just just how big we were, we were going to be at some point. Um, and we, you know, we they were accurate ambitions. We, we did believe we were going to be that big. Um, but we, you know, 
seeing as though they had these huge clients, there was a bit of convincing that had to be done at different points along the way. But they were really excited to start working with a smaller brand and kind of grow them from the ground up. Um, but, you know, for Jenna and me, it, it was a pretty big concern just hearing the horror stories that you do about these factories abroad. Um, and we were new to the industry. So even though they had a great reputation, that didn't mean much to us. So uh, we wanted to see it firsthand. So within, I think it was a few weeks of when we um, were confirmed to start working with them, we packed our bags and we flew over there, not really knowing a whole lot, but um, wanting to better understand the the details of which factory we would be at, how they were treating their workers, everything that any kind of normal person coming into the retail space that doesn't know much about is worried about. So um, we went and visited all the factories. Um, we met with the team that the entire team that we were going to be working with. Um, and to our surprise, um, but in a great way, the factory is an incredible place. Um, I mean, I think in those in those few days that we we were there, I learned more about lean operations than I did in a lot of classes. <laughs> what um, were you looking for when you went? What was the thing you were worried about, and what convinced you that um, this was okay? I think um, probably the thing we were most worried about was around the ethical side. Um, you know, we were trying to really build a business whose core mission was empowering women, and we knew that the majority of their workforce was made up of women, and we wanted to make sure from the moment our bras were first starting to get sewn that we were empowering the women and all workers along the way, all the way, all the way through to our female customers and even our employees. Um, so we were, we were really, really excited to learn that the factory actually has um, an initiative called the Women Go Beyond Initiative, and it helps build economic independence in the women who make up over 70% of the workforce. Um, and so a lot of women in Sri Lanka, after they have a child, don't come back to work. So this program helps give them the skill sets to still remain independently um, stable, which we were thrilled to hear about. So, Jenna, in the marketing for Harper Wild, um, and you have that marvelous kind of tagline that you're lifting up the ladies in every sense imaginable, um, you're not only talking about our girls, us as women, and the women in the factory, you're also talking about young girls through an education initiative. Could you tell us about it and how you chose it and how it works? Absolutely. Um, this was something that was really important to Jane and I right from the start um, when we talked a little bit ago about, um, you know, how this idea came to be. It was in those initial conversations that we really said, you know, we're, we're not trying to just build a bra company. Um, it's, it's about so much more than that. And when we really thought about, you know, why we're even fortunate enough and able to do what we're doing and starting this company is largely due to the fact that we were able to get a great education. And so we wanted to give that back and um, ensure that, you know, we could help uh, empower more young girls with an education and thereby build the next generation of leading ladies. So we spent um, over a year vetting a number of different partners and have landed on uh, Glamour Magazine's The Girl Project as our social impact partner. So they are aligned uh, with our mission in a number of ways, and they really focus on directly um, donating to um, putting young girls through school, but also to removing a number of the barriers that often stand in the way of a girl getting access to education. So. 
they've been a great partner with us so far, and we're really excited to grow alongside them and be able to, um, you know, really maximize the impact of um, our donations and um, our impact in this space. Just incredible. By the way, this is Women at Work on Business Radio here on Sirius XM 111. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, and I'm talking with the inspired and inspiring Jane Fisher and Jenna Kerner. They're the co-CEOs and co-founders of Harper Wild. Um, so, Jane, I want to come back to the question of partners. Um, you know, doing things like picking up and going to Sri Lanka to check out a factory, coming up with prototypes, all these things cost money. How did you fa- fund this in your earliest stages? And then how did you continue to grow it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's actually um, an, evolving, an evolving pitch, as I'm sure it is with many companies. But for us, it was a particularly interesting evolution. Um, so you're exactly right. We had done all the testing we could without any money after our first year at Wharton, even went as far as to buy around 500 bras of existing brands to run a trial event. Um, and uh, so we, we had done everything we could. So around May of 2016, we, we went out for our first fundraise. And really what it was about then was, um, was talking about how big the opportunity was, not only in, in um, how big the market was, how high the margins were today, but also in, in hearing what customers were saying and that there was a huge demand. But one problem that we came up against was we were pitching to a lot of male, older male investors, and we were pitching a female product. And so that became really tough for us. And being the Wharton students that we were, you know, we came with all of the numbers, right? We said on average how many bras a woman has in her drawer and how few of them she's wearing 90% of the time and that she spends on average three hours searching for one bra, sifting through over 300 options and paying on average 60 to $70. You get the idea. Oh, my God. You really had your numbers. (laughs) (laughs) We brought all the facts and we thought these numbers are going to be what convinces these men. And it didn't. It didn't convince them. They just couldn't see the market opportunity. And we knew it was huge. And we knew we just had to put it in a way that worked for them. And what we ultimately did, um, which we later went to make into a video that we launched um, when we launched the business about a month ago, but it was it was describing it to men in a way where as if they had to go through what a woman does. So we said, if you had to do all of these things, including getting into the dressing room and getting measured and making sure everything fits just right, and then you checked out and one pair of boxers cost you $60 and you went home and put on your suit and it showed through your suit pants, how, you know, how would you feel? And the conversation completely changed. And so... That's been, I think, one of our biggest takeaways from the fundraising side because we are still pitching to a lot of men, and it really helps to change the conversation to just really allow them to put themselves in the consumer's shoes. Well, Jenna and Jane, I can't tell you, A, how delighted I am to get to talk with you both, how inspired I am by the work that you've done. You've given us a great example of what happens when you really think about the perspective of the person on the other side, whether it's the customer whose needs you're trying to meet or the venture capitalist whose money you're trying to get to invest in you. Um, I wish you enormous luck with everything that you're doing. Please stay in touch with us here on Women at Work. Thanks so much, Laura. It was great chatting with you. Same here. And if people want to find out about Harper Wild, where can they find you? 
Absolutely. They can find us at harperwild.com or feel free to uh, email us at hello at harperwild.com and we would love to hear from you. Fantastic. So, folks, um, that was Jenna and Jane from Harper Wild. And stay with me. After the break, we're going to be talking to another woman who makes entrepreneurship possible, but from the other side of the fence. Wharton alumna, Gail Ball, managing partner of Chestnut Street Ventures. I'm Laura Zarrow, and you're listening to Women at Work on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111. Thanks.